he pursues us, then we respond to that. Y'all can go ahead and be seated. What a day to acknowledge the greatness of our God. And glad to have our kiddos in the room today. Uh, those of you who are not normally in big church, as you might call it. I know that's what I called it growing up. So welcome to big church. And uh, hopefully this will be a time that will be enriching for you because I'm going to start by talking about donuts. How many of y'all had a donut on Friday? It was National Donut Day, all right? Raise your hand if you had a donut on Friday. If you didn't, missed it. Sorry, too late. Can't go back. Can't reverse it. Have to wait till next June 7th, I guess, before Donut Day comes along. But have you ever noticed that how there's so many different days of the, of the, of the month? Now, my favorite day of the year is National Pie Day. That's January the 23rd. So just mark that on your calendar. Feel free to get me a pie on that day. Actually, it really doesn't matter to me because every day is pie day for me. And so I enjoy the pie thing. Uh, but here's a, here's a few other dates that are on your calendars or maybe not be on your calendars, but you might want to put on your calendar. And that's June 1st. Sorry you missed that too. That's Narcissistic Recovery Day, okay? Now, those who have been abused by narcissists, that's your day to recover. Now, the narcissists, they didn't miss that day because every day is their day. All right? So think about it like that. So if that's something... Now, next this next week, okay, there's like 16 or so, 14 actually this month alone, designated days. So I looked them up. Uh, this week uh, on the 14th, Friday that is, International Bath Day. So if you haven't had a bath in a while or whatever, now... 14th a good day. Now, don't worry. There's some more treat days coming up. July 1st is coming up, and uh, July 1st is National Creative Ice Cream Day and National Ginger Snap Day. So, all right, put it on your calendar. Those are some days that are just around the corner. These are days that we celebrate. This day is a day that we celebrate. It's not exactly going to be a pie day or a donut day. It's actually, I think, far, far better than that. This is the day that we call Pentecost, okay? It's the day that we recognize on the Christian calendar that is a pretty significant day. In fact, it's a very significant day because what happened on this day, 50 days following the resurrection, is the day that many people call the birthday of the church. It's the day that they met on on a Sunday, they gathered uh, uh, together in Jerusalem. It was on that day that they shared the word. The, the Spirit came. The Spirit moved. People were saved. People were baptized. It truly was the beginning and maybe the birthday of the church. Now, on that day, on this day, 50, 50 days following the resurrection, of course, it's not in the Jewish calendar of Pentecost as they, as we know it. They actually called it something else. It's actually recognized because about 10,000 visitors or more would enter into Jerusalem on that time of the year. On that day, in that season, it was called the Feast of Harvest. And on the Feast of Harvest was the time of the year that you would come together and you would bring your offerings from first fruits, the very first fruits. In fact, we have an art exhibit going on right now. It's called First fruits. And so it's ironic that this is happening right now. And here it is, the day of Pentecost. And here it is, the, 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 this, this observance of, of this uh, festival, if you will, on the, on, on the Jewish calendar. Now, what was significant was after they lived in an agrarian culture primarily, so they would collect their offerings to after the harvest and they would bring their first fruits. They would bring their first offerings. They would bring the revenues from that and they would bring it to the temple. So it was a beautiful day of worship. It was a day where they acknowledge that God gave me the resources that I have. There's not a dime that I make. There's not a shekel that I have. There's, no, there's not a crop that I have harvested. There's nothing that I have that God didn't first give me. 
And it's that putting God first. And again, I say with all of our, all of our life, but even with our offerings, it, God deserves our first. He deserves our best. And the Jewish faith was practicing it on that day. Now, so imagine this. They're all there on the Feast of Harvest. They're all there to bring their offerings. They're all there. Thousands upon thousands from all over have come to Jerusalem, to the temple, to do this observance. But the day gets rebranded. It gets rebranded to Pentecost because of what happens on that day when the Holy Spirit comes on that day on the church, in the temple, on the believers, and what God does on that day. And so here's why. In this series, even though it's not the fruits, fruit of the Spirit as we're talking about, we'll get there in a moment, I, I thought it would be so wrong for us to come through this series on the Holy Spirit and not observe that today is the day that we recognize the Spirit of God coming upon mankind. So I I want us to do this before we go to Galatians. I want us to go to Acts, Acts chapter 2. And I want us to read from the passage uh, when uh, this exactly happened and so how it exactly unfolded. So if you've never read this before, let it be an eye opener. You can read the whole chapter. We're only going to read a smattering of verses. But let's do this. Out of respect for the Word of God, let's do this today. Let's stand together. And I want us all to, uh, you stand with me. I'm going to read it out loud. You follow along, beginning in verse 1. When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place and had suddenly there came a a sound from heaven, from heaven a sound like a mighty rushing wind. It filled the entire house where they were sitting and divided the tongues of fire appeared on them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit. So this is a significant event. This is something we're going to talk about the filling of the Spirit. And we've been talking about that throughout this whole series. But just let this, just realize, God's moving furniture right now. There's a wind. There's a rushing wind. There's a there's tongues of fire. This It's a significant event that's happening and unfolding in this, in, in this place. In fact, in verse 13, they will actually go on to say, that aren't these people, aren't they drunk? Are these people been drunk with wine? Have they been drinking already this early in the morning? And really, again, if you think about the Get Lit series, We're talking about not being drunk with wine, but being filled or being intoxicated with the Spirit. So literally, whenever you become controlled by the Spirit, filled by the Spirit, there should be some behavior modifications. There should be some life change. People should look at you and say, what's different about you? And he goes on to say, and they began to speak each in in other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And they were bewildered because each one was hearing them speak in their own languages. Now, just for a point of clarity, this was not some ecstatic heavenly language that only a few could speak. This was known languages. If there was a person from Swahili that was speaking Swahili, there was a person who understood in Swahili. If there was a a Yao person there, they understood in their own language. It was a miracle day for sure, but it was not some heavenly ecstatic utterance that only a few could speak. Those who were filled with the Spirit, God did something on that day where all these different people had come to bring all their offerings to this place, and it was all on this special day, and everyone heard the gospel in their own language. I love it how God personalizes the gospel. And again, verse 13, they mock that you're filled with wine. Now notice what it says on down in verse 17. It says, I will pour out my... So what, what Peter does in this moment is he opens up the scriptures and he reads from them. 
from the prophet Joel. Joel chapter 2, for, to be exact, verse 28 to verse 32. You can go on to cross-references later on. This is what it says. I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. I love that. He's not a person that's a follower of, of God. Not a person who's a follower is going to live without the spirit of God on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters. Now notice this. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. There's a lot of debate out there whether or not a woman should be able to speak out the gospel of Christ. She'd be able to stand and, and declare the gospel of Christ. My friends, I, listen, I take a couple of verses out there where, where things were being done out of in, in an unorderly manner in the church. And you come back to the, uh, the book of Acts and you find that women were prophesying and the men were prophesying too. Should have got some amen out of that. I don't know. And young men shall see visions, and old men shall dream dreams. And even the male servants and the female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit, and they shall prophesy. Both men and women teaching. Both men and women, rich and poor, young and old, everyone receiving the Spirit of God. And then all the way down to verse 41, it says, And in those, so those uh, who received the word were baptized. And there were added that day 3,000 souls. In one sermon, 3,000 souls. We're lucky in 3,000 sermons to get one soul today. This is why I want to elevate this in our minds a little bit. When God shows up in His Spirit, He moves furniture. He moves lives. He changes things. And we have to ask ourselves the question, am I ready for the Spirit of God to do some earth-moving, life-changing work, or am I wanting to maintain the control of my life? Am I ready to get lit, or am I ready to just sample Jesus, sample His Spirit? Would you pray with me? Father God, we don't ask for Your Spirit to come. Your Spirit is here. We acknowledge Your Spirit And God, we ask that your spirit would speak. We ask your spirit would move. We ask that you would not let one person leave this room untouched, unspoken to, unfilled by your spirit, Lord, that you would make clear what you're saying, doing, wanting to say, and wanting to do through us. That, Lord, we cannot miss you. We cannot mistake you. We don't want to make you something you're not. We want to create some emotional bandwagon. We want your spirit to be poured out on us. And we want to see people come to faith. Our one, God, help us reach our one. Lord, that this year we may see everyone in this room bringing one, two, three people to Jesus like never before. God, do your work. Your Holy Spirit is here. We recognize it. And all God's people said, amen. You may be seated. Now, again, just for introduction, let, let's lay some foundations on, 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 on the Spirit and, and His work on us. This is something I probably should have done week one, but I didn't. I'm doing it week whatever it is. We've got a couple more messages in this series. But let's just lay some foundations and let's understand the indwelling of the Spirit, the Holy Spirit coming to indwell us, like it's mentioned there in Acts chapter 2. There's a couple of times that He does this. One is there is one baptism. Let's just get that one down. Okay, there's There's one baptism, there are specific anointings, and there are many 
fillings, all right? You got to get those down, okay? Because you'll get out in, 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 in conversations, theological dialogues with people, and you'll have different people believing different things on this. This is where I'm coming from. This is the stance I have. I think I can give a lot of scripture to back it up, and I want to lay some foundations out there, that there is one baptism. When I become a follower of Christ, I am born of the Spirit of God. It's not, a, it's not just a, 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 something that I acknowledge in my head that Jesus came, lived, loved, died, and rose again. It's not enough, all right? In fact, James says that the devils believe that already. They were there on the day that he rose from the grave. They were there on the day that he died. They believe that and they tremble. We, we have people who believe and acknowledge Jesus, but they don't even tremble. So again, sometimes the devils are closer to Jesus and following him than sometimes I think our, 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 we are. So, but this baptism thing, what is this one baptism? Well, if you'll notice in John chapter three, verse five and six, he talks about Jesus said, truly, truly speaking to Nicodemus here, he said, truly, truly the kingdom of God, you cannot enter the kingdom of God unless you're born of water and of the spirit. Flesh is born of flesh, but spirit is born of spirit. And it's at that time that my spirit experiences a rebirth that his spirit comes to live inside of me. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. Lots of verses I'm going to throw at you today, so jot them down. Kids, jot them down and ask mom and dad about them when you get home. They'll have all the answers. He saved us. Just get that down. He saved us in Titus 3, 5. He saved us. How did he save us? By the washing of regeneration and the renewal of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the work of God that Jesus perfected on the cross, completed on the cross. It's the Spirit of Christ inside of us, working inside of us, that actually brings regeneration. All right? So understand that that baptism of the Spirit is and the Spirit takes up residence inside of us at that point, moves in. Now, here's the point. i got to stop here because i got to say this. Nothing in this series means anything until that happens to everyone. We can talk about the fruit. We can talk about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness. I need more of that. We can talk about it all day long, and I can try to right sell, right, level set myself again and again against that, against those parameters, those markers, all day long. But if I have not been born of the Spirit, if I have not been born again, if I have not had a spiritual rebirth, then I will never, ever, ever, this side of eternity, know what it's like to have the Spirit of God inside of me. So my friends, to you today, I'm asking, I'm challenging you, give yourself to Jesus and be born again. And let's start there. And maybe during our worship time at the end, we're going to have a time where you can come and tell one of my prayer partners and just say, hey, I've given, I'm giving myself to Jesus today. I want to be born again today. Let them pray with you. Let this be the beginning of a new life for you. On the day of Pentecost 2019, what a beautiful reality that would be to see. Here's anointings. Anointings happen when God calls us to a task or a calling. So this is very specific when God anoints us. Jesus knew about this anointing. He was very clear. He understood exactly what he was called to do. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. Luke 4, 18. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. He has sent me to proclaim liberty to the captives and recovering of sight to the blind and set the liberty those who are oppressed. That's why Jesus was anointed. 
That was the task that he was anointed for. I pray to God that every day that I stand on this stage and every day that I live as your pastor, that God, would you anoint me as the pastor of Grace Point Church? That's a task, a calling that he calls me to. The time as a missionary in Africa, God helped me as a missionary in, in, in the bush of Africa to be anointed for the task that you've called me to do. What if you as a teacher, what if you as a lawmaker, what if you as, what, what if you as a, a, a supplier would say, God anoint me for the task of selling product to Walmart so that hopefully I can have gospel conversations with everyday people. What if that were our prayer every day? God, anoint me. To, if you don't have it and you, you didn't grab one last week, you didn't get one this week, and your seat pocket in front of you is one of these little bookmarks. I'm going to challenge you for the next 30 days between now and July 14th, I want you to take and pray about who is your one that you might be in a gospel conversation with. You put their name down, stick this in your Bible, stick it on the mirror, or you put your uh, war paint on in the morning or whatever you do on your computer screen, you know, whatever you, wherever you look at the most and you pray for person X. And that becomes, and here's verses every day for the next 30 days that I'm asking you to pray over that person. On the 14th, we're going to come back and talk about what next looks like. But we're going to start praying. We're going to start before we do any of this, any, any, anything else, exactly what the disciples did after Jesus' ascension. They went to the upper room and they prayed and they waited. So we're going to pray for the next 30 days. Would you find your one? I'll, I'll tell you this. It's not going to be easy. You're going to have to sow a lot of seed as I'm going to have, as I'm learning in my own self that I'm going to have to share the gospel a bunch of times. On average, it takes about eight to 10, maybe 15 times of sharing the gospel with some, with different people before I see one person come to faith in Christ. Now you think, oh, that's a lot of times. I got to do this. Yeah, it's become a lifestyle for you. But you think about one in eight, one in 10 in America. Well, our team that just got back from South Asia, they shared the gospel 154 times. 154 people heard it, two received it. That's 77 to one. So it's easier in America still to this day to share the gospel and see people come to faith in Christ. But here's the good news. Matthew 28, 20, because we're living out the Great Commission when we do that. Matthew 28, 20, what does he say? Just go to make disciples and all that kind of stuff. What, what, what else did he say? What's the very, very last statement. And lo, I am with you always. See, the reality is, is that I am anointed for the Great Commission. You're anointed for the Great Commission of going and making disciples that make disciples that make disciples. So we talk about baptism, it happens once. Talk about anointing, it happens for a task. Talk about feelings, it happens when His Spirit abides in us. This is primarily what this series is about. You can talk about the Holy Spirit in a lot of different directions, and those are just avenues that we might take it, some alleyways that we might take it down someday. But the Holy Spirit is the one who takes up residence in us. Now, He is not to be a silent partner in the relationship. He is not to be the weekend rendezvous. He is not a silent resident. He is not just, pres- he is not just residing. He is to be presiding over us. He is to be ruling in our lives, guiding us, moving us. When He's abiding in us, when He is filling us, His Spirit is the loudest voice in our head and our hearts. And thus we come to Galatians chapter 5, verse 
22 and 23 where we've been, and this is kind of where we launch off today. And so let's read this together out loud. Galatians chapter 5, 22 and 23, it says it like this. But the fruit of the Spirit, read it with me. The fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such there's no law. So that's where we're at. That's where we've been. We're kind of getting to the end of the road. Next week, we're going to talk about one of those, self-control. And, and it'll, it'll take the entire message just to talk about self-control. And I'll talk about how that level sets a lot of them right there. And then we'll have one more message in this series. But I want us to zero in on, on the ones today is faithfulness and gentleness. We've been kind of coupling these together. Not that you couple them together. Not that that's how they go. Not that they're in a priority order. Because we really realize that these all go together. You don't segment them out. Okay, there's two things I want us to understand about this fruit of the spirit kind of thing is that fruit is tasted in the community. Okay. Fruit is tasted in the community, the community that you live, the neighborhood that you live, the house that you live, the children that you raise, they ought to be tasting the fruit of the spirit in you. They ought to be tasting that there's greater love in our house, unconditional love in our house. They ought to be tasting the the greater patience in our house, the greater joy in our house. They ought to be tasting that. It's something that, yes, it makes you better. The fruits of the Spirit make you better, but it also makes you taste better. Think about it like that. So it's experienced in community, but it's also, it's a fruit is in the singular, notice that. Fruit is in the singular. It doesn't say these are the fruits of the Spirit. This is the fruit of the Spirit. These all go together. Again, you can't segment them out. You can't separate them out. They all go together. Now, when you come to faithfulness and you come to gentleness, I think we're probably looking at two of the ones that may be the the, the least talked about. Two of the character traits that should come out of us that we don't really look at. Love, we need more love. We know that. We look around the world. Joy, I want more joy. Yes. Patience, I know I need more patience. I've got kids. I have a boss. I have a spouse. I need a patience. Yes. Faithfulness, gentleness. Ah, what is that? You know, kind of at the end of the runway by that time, right? You kind of ran off so many. Listen, faithfulness doesn't have to say a word. Actions, actions speak louder than words. Gentleness also is very soft-spoken. Gentleness is tender. It's not loud. It's not dominant. It's not obnoxious. It's not brash. It doesn't force its way in. Faithfulness and gentleness. Probably of all of the character traits and the fruit of the Spirit... These two may get the least playtime, airtime, but they may make you the sweetest person, the most admired person in the world. How do I get there? We've been talking about different examples of different people. Uh, Kindness and goodness. Wade did a great job talking about the Good Samaritan. Uh, Next week, I'm going to talk about Paul and his famous passage on self-control and how he lived out his life on self-control. But who's our our example for faithfulness and gentleness? Is it going to be Peter? Not at all. 
Peter's always inserting himself, always opening up his mouth saying, hey, I'm going to be this, I'm going to be first. He's always the one who denies him three times in one night, you know, so it's not Peter. But here's one of the things I want us to learn about faithfulness and gentleness. The voice is known through time and touch. In fact, I'll say it like this. The spirit-filled life makes your life lasting and meaningful. And it's measured by time and touch. So what is this faithfulness? Let's look at a guy named Barnabas. Take your Bibles, find the book of Acts 13. We'll be there in just a second. Barnabas. There's two measures of lasting and meaningful life. There's two ways you can measure it. You're going to measure it in time and you're going to measure it in touch. Will give us the meaning and the lasting life that we want. Let's start with time because that's kind of where he starts. Uh, or Paul lists them in order. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Probably don't talk a lot about faithfulness. It's, um, it's dependability. It's reliability. It's somebody you can count on. Eugene Peterson puts it in the best way I know to put it. That, that, that is that person who takes the long walk of obedience in the same direction. That's faithfulness. I love that statement. Long walk of obedience in the same direction. That person who's faithful to the task, that's what we're going to be measured by in the end of our life is our faithfulness. There's a lot of things he's going to measure, our words, our actions, our attitudes. He's going to look at a lot of things we're going to be held accountable for. But in Matthew 5, 23, he tells us, he says, Well done, my good and faithful Faithful, faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. When you think about faithful people, there's a lot of people you can think about. But when you think about faithfulness, time and how consistent, complete it is in your life, that is one of the things we got to think about faithfulness. And you think about Job. Job was a person who went through hell, lost it all, sickness, disease upon him, lost his family. And what is the first thing he did? He tears his clothes, he pulls his hair out. And then he falls down and worships. Faithfulness through the dark, dark, dark season to even still worship God. Think about Paul. In the end of his life, what did he say? He said, I, I have fought the good fight. I have finished the race. I have kept the faith. That's how he lived his life. Second Corinthians, or First Corinthians chapter four, verse two, verse two says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found. Say it with me. Faithful. Barnabas was a person who was a faithful person. If you go to Acts chapter 11, verse 23 and 24, and I skipped over reading another passage that I was going to read in, in, uh, in, uh, er, later on in, in Acts, but let's just go straight to Acts 11, 23 and 24. It says, And he exhorted them all to remain faithful. This is what 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 Barnabas exhorts the church at Antioch after he sent to Antioch to check it out to see what's moving and going and shaking what was his number one challenge to them be faithful be consistent be reliable be resilient have the stick to that this world needs 
to the Lord with steadfast purpose. For he was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and of faith. I'm telling you today that I believe when you look at Barnabas, he was a man who was full of the Holy Spirit. The passage I didn't read a few moments ago was whenever the church at Antioch or church at, uh, chose Paul and Barnabas to go out and they were appointed and anointed by the Spirit of God to be missionaries. The Spirit of God was on, uh, was on Barnabas, and we see this evidenced in his life as the fruit of faithfulness comes out, and he calls others to faithfulness in their journey. I like weddings. Did a wedding yesterday. I'll do another wedding in a couple of weeks. My sons, I cry at every wedding. It's not even my family I cry at the wedding. There's something about watching the groom. I'm standing right here next to the groom. I just look at him. I watch the bride come. If they've seen each other, haven't seen each other, and how he changes his little body features. He begins to sweat or he tears up. I, I just I just start crying. I, they come forward. I, I may not even know them. They may not even know me that well, but I'm like, I'm, I, I'm in like a Hollywood movie, 3D right here in front of me. And I'm seeing love come together and this is beautiful thing. And they're standing on the stage and I get to see something that y'all don't get to see. You get the back of their heads. I get the faces and I get to watch them just ooh and ah with each other right there. I cry. I tear up. I did yesterday at a wedding. I'll bawl at my sons. I know I cried at my my daughters. I cry. I get emotional at the beginning of love. Listen, but I'm in awe of a love that didn't last for 30 minutes, but lasted for 30 years or 50 years. Anybody can walk an aisle. It takes faithfulness to go 30 years. Anybody can say, I do. It takes faithfulness to do. It takes faithfulness. And what what he's saying is the fruit of the Spirit is there's faithfulness involved here. There's a consistency. See, life principle for you here. Faithfulness is proven not by your words. It's proven through time. It's proven through pressure. And you have to have the pressure It's consistent and completed. You know, Ecclesiastes, when we were there a few months ago, Ecclesiastes 7, 8 says it like this. Finishing is better than starting. What's he saying? Finishing is better than starting because anybody can start something. But it takes resilience, perseverance, faithfulness, commitment, endurance, stick-to-itness, whatever other words you want to put in there. To finish something. You really want to impress me? Don't start something. Impress me by finishing something and doing it well to the very end. Listen to what it says of, of Peter and Paul when they come back from their missionary journey in Acts chapter 12, verse 25. I love the way it's, 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 it's couched here. Barnabas and Saul returned from Jerusalem when they had completed their service. They, they were sent for a task. They didn't come back until the task was complete. Again, example of faithfulness. You don't have to say you're faithful. Faithfulness says you're faithful. Life, time, pressure, sticking it out, making it better when it's not so good. I'm talking marriage. I'm talking your job. I'm talking your relationships. Trashing them and starting all over. 
throw away marriages, throw away homes, throw away cars, throw away life. That's what it equals. Let's be committed. Let's be resilient. The fruit of the Spirit. And you can look at it in every area of your life. There's a lady that's not in the service right now. She's busy. She's busy doing what she's been doing for the past 13 years. She's on the other side of this wall. Her name is Vicki Thomas. She'll be sitting right over there next service. But for the past 13 years, not on rotation, on an every week basis, Vicki Thomas for 13 years has been teaching, I think it's our three and four-year-olds. 13 years. Some of the kids that were on the stage right now that, were, uh, that are in London right now, they were taught by her when they were preschoolers. What am I saying? Am I making a big deal out of it? Yeah, we counted up the number of kids that she's been able to influence over the course of those years. 393 kids have gone through her class. Give her a hand. She can't even hear it. Faithfulness. You may not get an award for, for finishing but the Lord God of the universe is looking and he's saying, my good and faithful servant, my good and faithful servant. Faithfulness is measured in time. Gentleness is measured in touch. Go back to Galatians chapter 5, verse 23. The very first word in Galatians five twenty-three is gentleness. The Greek word, Parutes is the word here. Parutes is a, is a word that actually we've had a hard time translating it in different translations of the Bible. As yours might say humility uh, or meekness or, or, or gentleness. The, the truth of the story is we don't have a good English word for it. So we have to use three or four or five different words just to capture the richness of this one Greek word. Paratas. Paratas. So I began to look in other writings from first century period. Herod Agrippa used this word to describe the trait of royalty. Think about that. The trait of royalty. Plato in his, in his writings and symposiums used pyretes to calm and soothe disposition is the way he describes it. A calming and soothing disposition. Barnabas was a person like that. He was gentle. He was meek. He was humble. Chapter 4, go back there. The very first time we read of Barnabas, even in Scripture, we read of him in chapter 4, verse 35. Verse 35, and the apostles, and he laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's... uh, yeah, verse 35, verse he laid it at the apostles' feet and it was distributed to each one as they had need. And thus Joseph, who was called the apostle, Barn, the apostles Barnabas. Joseph was his mother's name, mother's and father's name given to him. But you know what his friends called him? They called him Barney. They called him Barnabas. His nickname was Barnabas. Why do they call him Barnabas? Which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a, a, a native of Cyprus. 
He sold a field and it belonged to him and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. This Barney guy, this Barnabas, this son of encouragement, he was not known most for his name, Joseph. He was known best for his character, encouragement. Can you imagine that? His gentleness, his meekness in relationship. Who is your Barnabas? I want you to think about that today. Who is your Barnabas? Who's your encourager? I want you to write their name down on a paper. I want to type them into your phone. And I'm going to give you a little homework assignment. Really little. Are you ready for it? Write your Barnabas this week a note of thank you. Thank you for being my Barnabas. Thank you for being my encourager. That person may be sitting right next to you right now. Write them anyway. Don't tell them. Write them. Words disentangle themselves when they move from your lips to your fingertips. Take some time and write it out and tell them what is, how they've encouraged you, how they've walked with you. You're a Barnabas. When you look at Barnabas closely, you'll see a couple of things, and then I'm finished. In one, Barnabas believes people are more than the sum of their past mistakes. Would you read that with me? They believe people are more than the sum of their past mistakes. A Barnabas is one who believes in you when you don't even believe in yourself. Barnabas believes in you when others don't have given up on you. Barnabas believes in you when others are shaming you. Barnabas believes in you. When you've got a couple examples, at least in Scripture, whenever Barnabas, in the few times that we see him, what is he doing? He's stepping up to the plate for people. When, when Paul became a believer, Saul became a believer. He was a persecutor. He was a bully of the church. Whenever he comes around to the church in Acts chapter 9, verse 27, who is the one who stands before the church and says, this guy is with me? He's legit. He's been born again. We can trust him. It was Barnabas. Paul could have been written off in the very beginning because he was the persecutor of the church. He could have been an infiltrator. He could have been labeled as that, but it was Barnabas who stood up in front of everyone and said, no, I believe in him. He's legit. He's real. It was Paul and Barnabas, excuse me, it was, yeah, it was Paul and Barnabas on the missionary journey where they took a guy, a cousin of, of Barnabas. His name was John Mark. Took John Mark with him. John Mark bells on him, gets cold feet. Mrs. Mama got to go back home to see his mom. So that's what some people believe. Next missionary journey comes along. Who's going to go with us? Paul says, okay, let's go. And, and Barnabas says, John Mark's going. He said, not against, no way. We're not taking quitters. What does Barnabas do? He says, no, he's not a quitter. God's not finished with him. See, Barnabas saw people for more than the sum of their past mistakes. See, Barnabas had not given up on John Mark. Paul had given up on John Mark. But you'll find later on in Paul's writings, he wants to see John Mark again. It's an incredible story of redemption. Thank God for the Barnabases who don't, Quit believing in us. Number two, you'll notice a Barnabas and you'll be a Barnabas when you practice giving as more important than taking. Practice giving as more important than taking. Say it with me. Practice giving as more important than taking. 
We live in a world where we accumulate, we take, we take, we receive, we negotiate our salaries. We, we want more vacation time, we want more pay, we want more accolades, we want more power, we want more influence, we want, want more for us. The American paradigm is to get more for yourself, but the paradigm of an encourager is to give more to others. In making life about others. The whole reason we had a strategy meeting last week, and I encourage you, if you didn't grab one of those books, they're all around the gallery. Grab one, take one home, and read one story a day. There's eight or nine stories in there. Read one a day and just be encouraged by what God is doing and waking up a handful of people to share the gospel and seeing life change in their lives. I do, do it one a day. It's all it takes. Pray, God, make me like them. I want to be giving of myself, my time, my talents, my treasures, so that I can be a part of an awakening. Go back to verse 37. It says in verse 37, he sold a field that belonged to him, and he brought the money and he laid it at the apostles' feet. He was a generous individual. He could have said, that field's mine. I'm saving that for my retirement home. He was from Cyprus. Who knows if it may have been a beachfront property on Cyprus. Who knows? It could have been any place like that. He said, I'm saving this for my own retirement. I'm saving this for myself. I want to indulge myself. Hey, I've earned it. I've worked hard all my life. And all the reasons that we see feed ourselves, ourselves, ourselves. And what Barnabas does is he turns around. He sells it, takes the re- revenues. It doesn't say he took 10%. It doesn't say he took 20%. It doesn't say he took 50%. It doesn't say he took 75%. It says he took it all. Wow. And lays it at the apostles' feet. What does that mean? What was he doing? The apostles were in touch with the ministry of what was going on and he was making funds available for the ministry that needed to happen. And because he gave that day, there was able to be ministry the next day. This past week, again, just to say thank you to Grace Point Church. This past week, a family got a contact with me about an emergency situation of where they were potentially going to be placed by DHS on an emergency receiving a child from them and they had not even had everything, all the T's crossed and the I's dotted and they were going to receive a child into their home and they were going to, they were, the problem was is they weren't going to have any of the funds to carry out, to, to, to welcome this child, to buy this child clothes, to prepare the room, to get a bed and all that kind of stuff. And this is the beauty of what we can do around here at Grace Point Church when we get serious about being Barnabases is we were able to take the resources that you gave this year and able to give them multiple thousands of dollars and say, you tell us what that child needs and we are there. Because you give consistent budgeted generosity, because you gave yesterday, we're able to do ministry today and because you give today, we'll be able to do ministry tomorrow. Gentleness happens with touches. Faithfulness is proven in time. And I love the phrase there, gentle. It's Again, it's a hard word to put your word around. I looked at every occurrence in the New Testament this week. Every time that word, that one Greek word shows up. And you know where else it shows up? It shows up in the gospel, in the gospel of Matthew, three different times. It talks about Jesus riding in on a donkey and him being humble and gentle. It talks about a time 
when Jesus is calling those who are in heavy laden, who are under stress, who are overwhelmed, and he said this, I am gentle. I tell you today, if you don't know Jesus today, you don't know the gentle touch of a Savior. That's where it starts. Would you bow your heads with me? We want to give you space and time here to be ready to maybe respond to the Lord however He's leading you. But I want to challenge you today. Don't leave here today if you've never given your life to Jesus. All around this room will be prayer partners. We're going to give you some space even before we ask you to stand up to just pray in the seat where you're at and just pray to the Lord. Lord, I want to give myself to you. This is not a time to pack up. This is not a time to start thinking about lunch. This is a time to be listening to the Spirit of God and saying yes. Father God, you know what needs to happen in this room and you know you who it needs to happen to. You know what needs to uh, what work needs to take place. And Lord, around this room are going to be prayer partners and they're going there right now. And they're ready and they're able to pray with, to counsel with. And I would pray that if there's anybody who needs to know you, Jesus, that you would give them the boldness, the courage to step out and say yes to you. But Lord, I pray for those who are children of yours who've been baptized into your spirit, that you would fill them with your spirit today. That they would have the faithfulness, that they would have the time and the touch to show others what it means to be filled with your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Just remain in the spirit of prayer right now. Our prayer partners are around the room. You feel free to go to them at any time. In a moment, we're going to begin singing. At that point, I want everyone to stand and you're free to move about.